We've all seen the incredible horse and rider combinations as the backbone of our sport. But what about everything else that makes the equestrian world tick? From the everyday grind to the world-class professional, join the Equestrian Podcast as we talk about every equestrian discipline in a way that hasn't been done before. Now here's your host, rider, trainer, and influencer behind my equestrian style, Bethany Lee. Hey friends, and welcome back to the Equestrian Podcast. I'm your host, Bethany Lee, and this is episode 354. Our guest today is an equestrian living in Utah with her husband, four cats, and horses. She is passionate about human health and disability, equine health, rehabilitation, writing, riding, and organization. In her early 20s, she experienced a bunch of strange symptoms that really impacted her riding dreams and goals. Over time, she adjusted her goals and now is an advocate for other autoimmune equestrians in the space. Her story is intended to motivate, educate, and inspire. So without further ado, please welcome our guest today, Allie Henninger. Hi, Allie. Hi. Thank you so much for taking the time to come on. No problem. Thank you. Yeah. um, I would love to hear how you first got started in the horse world. Yeah, for sure. So um, I actually grew up, uh, I was born and grew up in Alaska. Wow. Um, So the horse world's not super huge up there, but we do still have a lot of like hunter jumper scene kind of going on up there. And I started riding when I was about six, just because my mom had always wanted horses growing up. So we got some horses from like a trail ride company that was up there, like a tourism sort of thing. Yeah. And just kept them on our property. I started doing hunter jumper lessons and I do, so I do eventing now, but that wasn't actually, hadn't gotten to Alaska yet by like when I was growing up back in okay. the early 2000s, it wasn't really, we had like one barn had like a field full of cross country jumps, but it was basically just like hunter jumper Western is what you get in Alaska. And I did 4-H and stuff growing up um, for a long time, actually. And yeah, we just kind of did that till my my dad's in the military and when I was 14 we moved down to Colorado which was our first time out of Alaska we bought my my little curly pony when I was 10 which okay yeah um <laughs> giving a 10 year old a four-year-old horse that has is unbroke <laughs> is not necessarily like the greatest um plan I think that you should do for your child but it ended up fine oh um, my gosh got into, like a lot of trouble as kids but kind of taught him to jump, did a lot of jumper stuff growing up with our trainer there. Um, and then when we moved down to Colorado, we kind of figured out and discovered eventing and he loved that so much more. I mean, he was much more open to being out in fields rather than in a, a ring. So we started uh, kind of exploring that. And then obviously I loved it a lot too. And so we just kind of stuck with that. Once I, you know, went through my growth spurt and shot up to five foot eight and he decided to stay at 14 three, which was very rude. Um, (laughs) The nerve. Yeah, I know. How dare he (laughs) just started finding kind of other lease horses and uh, getting more into kind of just all of the more intricate aspects of eventing Mm -hmm. Um, kind of gone from there. Amazing. Um, Obviously you are a lifelong equestrian. What were your riding goals when you were growing up and how did they change as you kind of entered into adulthood? Yeah. So when I was growing up, the same kind of situation of like, we didn't have pony club, we had 4-H, we didn't have eventing, it was just jumping. It was also still back then the same kind of idea of 
if you want to be in horses when you get older, like when you grow up, when you get your career, you can be a trainer or a rider. Totally. That's basically it. And so I still remember when I was like seven years old, I was reading probably like Young Rider and other magazines like that. And I was like, I want to be an equestrian journalist. Mm. And that's not really a thing. There's like four of them, but I want to ride and I want to do that. But I also want to be like a journalist. And that was always like my thing. But I like, you know, I was in Alaska. We don't have a lot of horse things options for you know <laughs> school and stuff. It wasn't yeah. like we had a equine science degree at the University of Alaska. Yeah. So I already knew from like eight years old that I was like, I need to get out and like go other places and like find ways to get into the actual horse industry. My riding instructor up there had gone to like the University of Colorado for equine science. So I mm. thought that that was like the biggest thing you could do. And I was like, that's what I'm going to do. So my plan was just to do everything I could and try to like make my own way. And then as I started like getting into high school and like beyond that, I was actually, I started in college as a music major and had kind of gotten out of horses a little bit, but then my, after my first year of being a music major, I decided and realized, oh, I don't like teaching. Ah. <laughs> um, so that's not going to work. And also neither will being a writing instructor because I'm not great at teaching children. <laughs> and that's kind of usually involved in all of those. Totally. So I guess I'll just be a writer. And so I like tried going to be like a working student for some different writers and around then was about the time that I started um, kind of experiencing my health issues. And I started realizing that, that maybe I'd have to start, you know, thinking about other plans because I wasn't physically going to be able to do all of the extreme, like physical needs to, to be a, like a professional writer. Hmm. And I had written a few, few years by then, because I kind of took some time off my last year of high school, my first year of college so it was just all kind of in limbo at that point. And I was just yeah. trying to figure out how I was going to do horse life and kind of balance that with being an adult because it was all so different. Yeah. Yeah. You were saying in your 20s, you kind of started experiencing a range of symptoms indicating mm -hmm. that like something wasn't right. So what what was going on? Yeah. So the year after my first year of college, when I decided, okay, being a music major is not going to work. Um, let's just do something crazy different. And so my then boyfriend, my now husband and I decided to go back up to Alaska to work for the summer because I hadn't been up since I was a kid. So we went up and worked for a cruise line there at a lodge. And unfortunately for anyone who's done that sort of seasonal work for tourism industries, it, the hygiene practices are really rough, just like cruise ships in general, traveling like that, it like basically in the orientation, they're like, you're going to get norovirus at least four times. Like that's just expected. Wow. So I started getting sick a lot that summer um, to the point where it was like consistently every single week, I got a bunch of infections like strep and staph infections and stuff just from not really knowing what. Hmm. And by the end of the summer, I was not doing great. So when we went back home, I started meeting with my doctors and stuff and doing all of the tests. Cause I had been like, it was just the point where I was like exhausted every day, everything hurt. I felt like I was getting the flu for a few days, every single week. And then 
amazingly, because knowing this now, this process that took me maybe three or four months can usually like on average take people years to get this sort of diagnosis. But my, my doctor was like, we're going to run like an autoimmune panel. Um, and then I only then remembered like, oh yeah, my mom has some rheumatoid stuff. And so does my grandma. So maybe mm. that's a good genetic thing to look at. And it turned out I did have the autoimmune factor that I probably got from them. And it was pr- most likely triggered when I had all of those uh, illnesses that summer. Um, so I was positive for scleroderma, um, which is an autoimmune disease, but I didn't meet all of the symptoms, um, because there's like a very specific set of symptoms you have to have to be diagnosed with that. But all of the symptoms that I have are more consistent with lupus. And so, which I didn't test positive for. So, um, then in 2017, that was officially when I got my diagnosis of just undifferentiated connective tissue disease, that could either, there's basically like three different possibilities, either it resolves and gets better or it stays the same forever, or it will eventually progress into lupus or scleroderma. So I'm still kind of in there. I actually just last month took a test that could possibly, if I am positive from that test, I will actually officially have lupus now that all my symptoms have kind of progressed since then, but it's just kind of a a limbo state for a long time, which is really frustrating for a lot of people when it's just like, I have an autoimmune disease, can't tell you what it is, but it's there. Mm. <laughs> and so since then, the the symptoms never, they haven't really worsened, but they're just, they kind of expand upon each other. So there's like a lot more than there used to be. Yeah. I feel like there's so many unknowns and unpredictability with autoimmune diseases. I yeah. feel like I, my family and myself included have had a, had a very long ba- battle with Lyme disease, especially okay. being from Wisconsin, where it's very oh, prevalent yeah. <laughs> there. Um, so, but yeah, so I can relate in the sense of just like for some, sometimes there's just like no rhyme or reason. You don't like, or I know for me, I was, our, my doctors think that there's possibility that my siblings and I were born with it. And so yeah. it's like, how much of your, like, how much of stuff is just who you are versus symptoms versus exactly. like better, worse. Like there's just like, I feel like so many factors and unpredictability that make autoimmune diseases so frustrating. Definitely. I, I like to explain to my, my friends and everything that it's kind of like your body's gaslighting you. Yeah. Um, it's you, sometimes you're like, well, this feels wrong, but is it really like, is this just how things work? I don't, yeah. I've never, I mean, I lived, I've lived with a body without an autoimmune disease for, it was a good 18 years of my life that I didn't have any issues. And I like, now that all these things are happening, it's like, okay, maybe I'm just imagining it because mm-hmm. these other things are wrong. And it's like, no, listen, <laughs> my body is different and yeah. everything that happens can be a part of this. It's fine. Right. Totally. How would you say that your diagnoses have impacted your riding? Well, I definitely have a lot less energy for sure. Growing up, I was like that kid that my riding instructor would like throw on her new ponies, um, yep. kind of graduate her babies and she'd be like, throw Allie on there. I rode, uh, so we lived right next to these 28 mile ski trails and my neighbors and I would go on bareback trail rides for three or four hours a day, every single day for years. Wow. And I was fine. And I was like, that was when I was like 12, 13 and I had all this energy and, you know, when you're a kid, you're bouncy and squishy and you're kind of invincible. 
And so I just kind of thought that that's how it was always going to be. And then after taking my kind of break from writing and coming back after being diagnosed and everything, it just feels completely different. Like it feels nothing like when I was writing as a child, I have a lot less control over like my muscles and my body in general. And I, I used to kind of feel when I was growing up, like a gifted writer, like I could grow up and be like a professional writer and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And now it's just like, I am struggling to keep up with the 12 year olds. <laughs> and uh, yeah. It's just like, I don't, I no longer have that like perfect control of my body that I had since I was writing since I was like a kid. Um, I just have these limitations that for a long time, when I came back to writing, I was just like, I can push through this and I can do all of the work and I can get back to where I used to be. But the hard thing, like probably with the hardest thing that has been that I've been facing is that limitations are literally just limitations and I can't push through what my body is saying is my limit. And Mm -hmm. like, it's just rejecting certain kinds of lifestyles. Like I can't ride every single day as much as I might want to. I, it just messes with my system. So I just had to kind of accept that certain outcomes aren't possible for me anymore, which is really hard when you're trying to live like a very positive, like inspirational kind of Mm -hmm. lifestyle. Like you see all those people on Instagram that are like, I'm sick, but I'm going to do everything like that I dream of doing and you're like yeah I can do that too except that doesn't apply when your body has physical limits right definitely how how long do you feel like it took for you I guess like mentally and emotionally to get to the place that you're at now I mean I'm sure I'm sure every like you know frustration is inevitable at any point in your autoimmune journey, but, mm-hmm. um, how, how do you feel? Cause I, f- I feel like you have such a healthy attitude towards, you know, kind of adapting to your autoimmune disease now. So what was that process like for you? Yeah, it definitely took a few years. I've always had, thankfully like this as an adult, this has proven over and over again to be like, I don't know how I ended up like this, but I'm glad I am. But I've always been the kind of person of everything happens for a reason, mm-hmm. like let things go. You can't, if it's in the past, it's in the past. Um, so someone cuts you off on the highway by the time they've done it, you know, it's, it's over and done. Like you have nothing, nothing you do is going to change the fact that that happened sort of a thing. So that's how I've kind of always approached my health as well is, you know, this is who I am now and there's nothing I can do to change it. I can, you know, do my best with what I have, but we happen to life as opposed to life happening to us. So I just kind of go with the flow and figure out what I can do going forward. So the first few years of my diagnosis was really hard because I was like, I don't think I know how to feel about this. Mm -hmm. I like, I can't just let it go. It's always going to be there. Um, So it's probably a good, let's see. I got back into writing lessons when I was like 1920. And then it wasn't until probably like it was probably like three or four years later when I got my my horse that I have now and I kind of was just like you know what we're diving in I'm going to get a horse I'm going to get fully back into this that I was like you know what I have to find a way to live with horses in my life with the body I have now and it's going to be completely different from what I know and grew up with but I just need to figure out what that is so I kind of went all in and just decided to kind of do a full life change I had been still doing a lot of like music stuff before then. 
I grew up doing music too. So that's always been like part of my life as well. But after trying to be a music major, I was like, maybe I can do both. I can do horses and music. Then I was like, no, if I want to do horses with this body, I have to be all in. So I kind of completely did a 180, quit quit my job. Um, We actually sold our house and moved to Canada and I got my horse on the way and we decided to, I was going to work at my barn. I was going to start riding. All of this stuff was going to happen and we were just doing a whole change. Um, And then COVID happened (laughs) a few weeks later after we moved to Canada. (laughs) No way. Yeah. And so that ended up a lot more all in than I was intending because I ended up taking over and managing that barn and living there and only got to ride like 10 times that whole year because COVID and, you know, running things. And then, uh, after a year, it was just kind of a lot of crazy stuff happened in Canada during COVID. They like Mm -hmm. shut down, shut down. So, uh, my, after our visa expired after the year and we weren't going to be able to stay because nothing was open. I was like, you know what, we can, we can move back home and I can still do this. Like we'll, we'll bring my horse with us. I will, we'll find a way to do this back, back in Utah. And, um, I'll just basically be there as a horse girl again, which has never happened here. Cause I was previously in music and stuff. So hmm. I, it was just kind of like a forced thing, I guess of like, well, I got to figure this out. And so I guess we're just gonna find a way to, to live my life like 100% horses all the time. About three years ago, I drew my first sketch of the ponytail hairnet. This all stemmed from having years and years of wearing hairnets, also having long hair, not like that matters, but I often would wear my hair down. I have a very big head. I have the largest women's same shoot helmet and a ton of hair. So with all that being said, with a lot of photography and modeling with my equestrian style, I just like noticed a few things that just like didn't quite seem right when it came to the current line of hairnets in the market. I love, I really love wearing hairnets. I think it really helps an overall like classic and polished look. But whenever I wore my hair down, I noticed the inevitable blob of hairnet, the extra hairnet that just flops around in your ponytail. And I would try to tuck it in my hair tie. I would try to braid it into my braid and it just was never quite right. So I decided to take matters into my own hands and it started a very long journey of getting a design patent and creating a brand new product. And that is my new brand, Ellsworth. Ellsworth is an equestrian accessory brand and my very first product is the ponytail hairnet. We just launched and I have been absolutely absolutely overwhelmed with the response. You guys love it and I am so happy because I love it too. What makes it so different is it is not only like softer and durable and I really love the six colors we came out with, but it has the patent pending elastic lined hole at the back of your head. So basically it completely takes away the need for another hair tie. I don't know about you, but I was always that girl growing up, eh, let's be honest, still today, that does not have a hair tie around her wrist and she is going around tack trunks, asking her barn friends for an extra hair tie. Well, with this design, you don't even need a hair tie if you don't want to because the elastic lined hole at the back of the hair hairnet acts as your hair tie. But because of this design, 
what it really does is remove the excess hairnet that flops around in your ponytail. So now you can wear a hairnet and wear your hair down or up. It absolutely works if you want to wear your hair up. But either way, you do not have to worry about the excess hairnet flopping around in your ponytail. So if you would like to take a look at the ponytail hairnets, they come in a pack of two for $16.99 and they're available on my website. My website is Ellsworth Official. That's E-L-L-S-W-O-R-T-H official.com. Wow, that's wild. I mean, yeah, talk about interesting timing, but I feel like putting putting pressure on a decision can end up being a positive thing because yeah, sometimes, I, you know, you don't have any other option but to move forward yeah. and do it. So there you go. <laughs> yeah, I definitely don't regret it. My husband and I talk about that one very difficult year a lot. And mm. uh, if but if we like had to go back, I, I wouldn't like I would still do it again because it definitely obviously it brought me Harriet and that year helped me grow a lot because I was like, okay, the only thing I have left that I could think I could do professionally in the horse field is being a barn manager, like running a stable. And so I did that very intensely for a year. And I was like, you know what? Nope. Don't, can't do that. Either. <laughs> that is definitely not possible with the body I have and the energy I have. And also that was awful. So I'm not going to mm, do that. That's an um, intense role. Yeah. Which I think that I would say is where like my big pivot happened because I was like, well, that was my last straw. So I guess I'm going to spend an entire week just sitting down and deciding what I'm going to do with my life um, because I've exhausted all of my options and um, kind of had to be forced to. And honestly, it was, it was, that was basically what brought me to this path. So I'm grateful that that happened still. Yeah. How would you say horses have helped you work through your autoimmune diseases? Like what role have they played for you? obviously physically, but mentally and emotionally too. Yeah. So it definitely has been my biggest motivator. Um, cause like I said, the first few years of my diagnosis, when I was still trying to do music stuff, it wasn't really enough. Like I love music. I love playing, but it wasn't the thing that gets me out of bed in the morning. Um, and then once I came back into like my horse life and to like myself as a horse person, it was, I don't know. It was like trying to be a different person before. And now that I'm back to being Allie, the homeschool Alaskan horse girl, <laughs> like that is, it's That's more awesome. easy for me to live this way. You know, yeah. like it's, I have limitations now, which are different, but horses are what can help me push through the hard days so that they don't seem so bad anymore. Um, it's kind of like a driving force to not live passively. And it definitely helped me get rid of the struggle I was having with that kind of victimized mindset of like, well, everything happens for a reason and I need to let things go. But like, why me? Like, why is this? Mm -hmm. I still don't understand why this would happen. And now I'm kind of back in the mindset that I feel like is me and I'm able to prioritize kind of the parts of my life that are different, but it's always, the horses are always at the top. And so that's always able to kind of pull me to try to be more healthy because before when it was like, oh, I have music, I have, you know, my life, my job, that's not enough to motivate me to like, you do my autoimmune diet to like stay active, even though it kind of hurts. 
but knowing that if I stay active, even though it hurts, it will be helping Harriet and like my, my goals in the horse world, then that's enough for me to push through. Totally. Yeah. I think that perspective is awesome. And I just love how you, you know, had talked about when you were younger, wanting to do like equestrian journalism and like what that would look like and how that would be kind of impossible in Alaska at the time. And now, I mean, you are a writer for Eventing Nation. Um, You have your own website where you really are like documenting your journey um, with um, an autoimmune disease, which I think is so cool and and such a unique space within the equestrian world. So how did you go from kind of the point where you were, you know, at your crossroads, kind of deciding what you were wanting to do to finding avenues in the horse world that were, you know, ended up totally aligning with your, your young horse girl dream? Yeah, for sure. So the first couple of years of my diagnosis, I didn't really tell anyone about it besides like, obviously like my husband, my roommates, my family. But after a while, especially as I started writing again, cause I, I was like an obsessive journaler growing up. Like English was my favorite subject. I journaled way too much. And I wrote like little stories and books and stuff when I was like a kid. I really am glad that those don't exist anymore. So <laughs> no one can find those, but um, I have just always wanted to write. And I love just kind of getting my thoughts out there that way. And so after that whole kind of change happened, I kind of realized, you know what, when I was trying to be a barn manager and push through my limitations, I was like, it's, there's no reason for me to hide this from people. It will only help me and others to help support me. If they know all of the details of what's going on with my body, what my limitations are. Like I hadn't even told my previous riding instructors, like, oh, I'm heat intolerant. That might be something you want to know. Like I I wouldn't really share stuff like that just because I thought I could, I can like push through it. And after all that kind of happened, I realized I, I want to be able to be supported and I want to be able to be open and honest about the things that I can and can't do. And so I just kind of started writing again. It was, it was mostly during that year in Canada where COVID and everything, I was like, I just need to find a way to, I need therapy. I'm going to therapy myself. Um, And I just started writing about me and about my limitations and my experiences. And it actually started a bit with Harriet because we actually, we referred to that year as the year of the nightmare um, <laughs> because she went through so many injuries oh, wow. during COVID because we couldn't ride because the country was shut down. So she was just all cooped up in her brain and injured herself a lot. And it was, it was really hard. And then I was trying to exist with hundred percent humidity, which I'm never going to do again. <laughs> and yeah, I just started kind of writing about what was happening and the struggles I was facing and it helped a lot. And it's like people that I'd known forever were reaching out. Like, I didn't know that you were you know, struggling with this, that these were like problems you were facing. And now I know that I can like help support you if you do need it. And I was like, why, why have I not been doing this before? This is like so important. So I just started writing in my blog, um, just kind of about me, about Harriet, things that I had thoughts about, um, some of the struggles that we had up there that year in Canada. 
And a lot of it was just like, what am I going to do with my life? I don't know, but here's my thoughts. And honestly, that helped me find what I was going to pivot to. So when we came back to Utah, I was like, you know what? I have options. Like I can find a job that I like and it's not, it might not be right now, but like I, I went back to school or I started doing some online classes at least. And I remembered, you know, when I was growing up, I wanted to be an equestrian journalist. I wanted to do that. So I kind of decided, you know, I can do more with my blog and everything. And Eventing Nation had this blogger contest where you kind of write some essays and send them in and people vote and they decide and whoever wins ends up having a job there and being a writer for Eventing Nation. And me and a couple other people ended up winning. So we just became writers for Eventing Nation. And I, when uh, Sally, the editor there, who's amazing, reached out to let me know, she asked, do you want to actually have your own column about like writers with different, you know, circumstances, diversities, disabilities, stuff like that. And that was like the greatest thing that had ever happened. So I now have this column that I haven't been super consistent in the last couple of months because we've been really competition focused and it's kind of been crazy, but um, I've done a couple so far that are just, it kind of highlights and advocates for specifically eventers with kind of challenging circumstances, just differences and diversities and living with disabilities because eventing doesn't have para writing like uh, dressage and stuff like that. Right. So if you have a disability, you're just competing against all the other people who have who are able-bodied. And after my first year competing in 2022, I realized, oh, wow, yeah, this is, I'm again, again, like up against 12 year olds who are destroying me. Mm. <laughs> and it's, it's hard. Like you have to basically act like you're normal. So I, that was like a huge opportunity for me. It's been amazing um, hearing from all these different people that will email me and I get to interview them and stuff. And they're just, you know, I've been living with, I don't know, like cystic fibrosis or also similar autoimmune stuff, fibromyalgia, Crohn's, anything like that, Mm -hmm. Um, just physical disabilities. And they are in the same circumstances as me is just, I, it takes me three times as much effort as a normal person, but we're still, still making it happen and eventing is crazy. And like the, the girl I got to interview who actually lives here in Utah with me um, and has cystic fibrosis, like I do not have it bad. (laughs) That was the other thing. It was incredibly humbling. Just, I, I have heat and cold intolerance, but it's just like, it makes me feel bad. It doesn't like destroy my body, but there's others out there that have it so much worse and are doing so much more that I want to be able to kind of bring encourage acceptance and extra support for other eventers and equestrians that are facing these kind of challenges because a lot of the times like mine it's invisible um like invisible illnesses and unless we end up everyone has the same sort of weird enlightenment moment that I did of you know we need to spread this and and have the support from our like our friends and those around us sometimes people are just doing it all by themselves and trying mm-hmm. to push through it. And it's really hard. <laughs> totally. Yeah. But, I mean, spreading the awareness has been really great of just, there are everything from financial difficulties to mm-hmm. illnesses and disabilities 
and we just, everyone has so many different backgrounds that it's been really, really great to be able to kind of dive into that and write about it and get all my thoughts out there of just, here's how we can support all these people that are trying to do the thing that we love. And it's just harder. Yeah. Wow. What a perfect fit for you. Like that is just (laughs) so amazing. Um, I feel like you just kind of, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, answered the question I ask everyone, but what would you say is an area of the industry that you are extra passionate about that you feel like the rest of the horse world either just doesn't know a lot about or doesn't talk that much about? Um, So kind of that, but also along, it's so kind of like a different tangent of that. Yeah. Um, from that one year that we had where my horse was getting injured and I was sick and all that stuff. I am now super passionate about rehab and kind of like what I call prehab of just prevention and doing a lot of things to take care of your body to prevent and like kind of condition yourself against avoidable injuries or like illnesses and stuff. So for me, that involves a lot of physical therapy, like many years of physical therapy, Mm. actually, you know, doing the the autoimmune diet that I'm supposed to be on so that my gut is healthy and I can actually ride. Uh, Um, And, you know, kind of more intense things like that. But for normal people, it can just be like, you need to stretch before you ride. You need Mm -hmm. your horse to stretch. There's so many things that are limiting riders and horses out there that are totally preventable. And I mean, for me, obviously there's some things that aren't, but I want to try to all avoid the, avoid all the other stuff as well. So like having control of my body has been so different and like trying to come to terms with like, okay, I know I have this muscle in my leg because I've used it before, but I don't know how to, how to find it because my body is different now. And so like different exercises and for me, you know, physical therapy, muscle activation stuff, it helps you as a human being and a rider. And your horse needs that stuff too. Like it's, I, we do all of the stretches, all of like the, the little warmups and stuff. And it's just, I think it's, there's so many things that we could avoid that are unnecessary that can, you know, help us further our physical abilities as both, you know, able-bodied and um, people with, you know, disabilities or special bodies, I guess. <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah. I just think that's super important, especially since, I mean, like I have all of my internal injuries and, and issues and stuff, but I've also been in a lot of car accidents. So mm. um, that really messed with like my structural integrity, wow. um, especially with all the inflammation and stuff. And so, I mean, I'm not the only rider out there who's been in car accidents, but some people are just like, oh, it's just, you know, it's a little thing. It's fine. But it affects you as an equestrian in the long run, for sure. Mm. Like we all know that by the time we're like in our forties, we're going to feel like we're 90. So we can like start working now to try to avoid that. And it'll only help in the long run. Totally. Yeah. I think that that's great advice. And, um, you know, something that you, like you were saying, like anyone can benefit from. Um, Mm -hmm. So yeah, I think that that's, that's a really great thing to note. Well, Allie, thank you so much for taking the time to come on and share your story. I think it is so special that you have been vulnerable with your community and and been able to um, share your journey. And I'm sure it's resonated with so many people in the industry and given people 
um, a voice within the horse world that maybe they didn't feel like they had or they have had found before. So thank you so much for everything you're doing. And I wish you all the best. Yeah, thank you so much. I really appreciate the opportunity to, to talk to you. It's great to been great to talk to you. All right, that is all I have for you today. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you liked what you heard, please take a minute and write a review on iTunes. I would so appreciate it. It helps people like you find the podcast and it helps me get some killer guests. Thank you so much and I will talk to you next week.